Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixed Down. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixed Down. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. Hi, welcome to Communication Mixdown. I'm Jennifer Martin. The recent defacing of statues of Captain Cook and former New South Wales Governor Lachlan Macquarie in Sydney's Hyde Park was condemned by the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull as a cowardly criminal act, reminiscent of the Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin. So these statues were spray-painted with the words, change the date and no pride in genocide. So this incident and the subsequent reaction got us thinking at Communication Mixed Down about the power of public symbols and language. Who decides whose voices get heard and why? And what happens to a culture when they're told that their language is banned, it's not to be taught in schools or even spoken in public? So joining me by phone today is Associate Professor Rachel Nordlinger, who is the Director of the Research Unit for Indigenous Language at the ARC Centre of Excellence for the Dynamics of Language at the University of Melbourne. That's quite the title. Rachel, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Look, could you just explain to us first up just how many Aboriginal languages there are and where they're spoken? Sure. Well, um, it depends how we want to count them. If we think about what the situation was uh, traditionally before we had uh, the English, the arrival of the English in Australia, um, we, there, there were at that point about 700 different Indigenous language varieties spoken across the continent. And how and do we know this, Rachel? Uh, we know this from research that was, that was then done later where where people went around and spoke to all the different indigenous communities and and documented all of the languages that were spoken across the continent at that time um of course if we as linguists come in and sort of want to apply apply very strict definitions about which of these 700 varieties would be dialects of one language and which of them would be really distinct languages, we still end up with about 300 completely distinct languages spoken across Australia. So Australia is a, a country of enormous linguistic diversity. What is the situation now? I'm just looking to get a feel for what about languages that we've lost Right, yeah. So of those, if we just take, for, for the sake of our conversation, if we take this figure of 300 totally different languages, although, of course, there were many, many more varieties than just that. Um, but if we start with that figure of, let's say, 300, um, probably almost 200 of those are now 
no longer have fluent speakers left. So we we would say that they are languages that are um, sleeping or no longer being learned by children and spoken daily by fluent speakers. Um, of the remaining 100, there's probably about 80 of those that are only known by elderly speakers in communities. So um, these people might have grown up speaking the language as their first language, but they're the last generation to do so and they're now very elderly. Um, and that leaves about 15 to 20 languages that are still in in a more sort of actively used state where they're being learned by children as their first language and used by communities uh, as their daily language of communication. And all of those languages are in either central or northern parts of Australia. So as as a linguist, as someone where this is your expertise, this is where your depth of research is, if you had to um, kind of look at it as a hospital, um, if you had to triage this, what, what is the med, you know what is the health? What's what's kind of the medical report of indigenous languages? Uh, yeah, That's well, a strange analogy. Yeah, I understand the question. It's it's it depends what we're looking at. So if we were going to look at the health, if we were thinking of health in terms of languages where children are still learning it as their first language and we can see how this language will just continue to be passed on from generation to generation by fluent speakers. Well, that would be then, the, the living language, wouldn't it? That would be the right. very healthy end of the spectrum, isn't it? Exactly. Yep. So in that sense, things are looking very dire. We've lost, oh, you know, I, I can't do the maths fast enough, but we've lost an enormous percentage of the original languages in this continent. Most of them are not in that state anymore. Only a very small number are in that state. And, you know, we have to, given the sort of power of English in Australia, we have to assume that those other languages are vulnerable, even if even if they are still in a healthy state right now. Um, on the other hand, on a sort of more positive note, there are lots of efforts by communities around Australia to try to um, to revive and relearn their traditional Indigenous languages. And that is a, is a really positive and powerful thing for communities. And there is increasing momentum around that. So we can have some, some hope that even these languages that, are, as I was saying before, we often talk about as being sleeping, they're they're not gone forever, and in fact, many of them may may start to be relearned and um, spoken again through community efforts around this. Yes, we're speaking with Mandy Nicholson, um, hopefully later in the show, and she works Great. for VCAL. So, um, you know, doing yeah, that on the ground, yeah, on absolutely. that ground work um, exactly. with, with communities. Yeah. But you're also taking wonderful steps to preserve these languages. Could you tell me a bit about this project where you're repatriating recordings to Indigenous communities? Right, yeah. So there are a lot of places uh, communities around northern Australia in particular, that's where I've been focused, where there were recordings done with the last speakers of languages at some point in the past. And for a long time, these recordings have not really been accessible to communities. So, you know, in the 70s or 80s, recordings were done on analogue tapes and they often ended up sitting in people's offices or in an archive somewhere, but because they were a sort of hard tape, it, if you're part of a remote community in the Northern Territory, you can't really access that recording very easily sitting in an office in Canberra, let's say. 
So one of the projects that we've had recently is to take these heritage materials and digitise them so that they are more accessible and then go back to the relevant communities and repatriate these these recordings. And I did this particularly in the in a region of northern Australia called the Daly region. So it's um, uh, the region that has the Daly River running through it. Uh, it's southwest of Darwin. And there are a number of languages. There's about 18 different languages that were originally spoken in that area. And a number of them no longer have fluent speakers. But there are recordings that were made by a fellow linguist, Dr. Ian Green, in the 80s and 90s. And we took all these recordings, we digitised them, we put them all on USB sticks and we went out to all the remote communities in the Daly River region and actually returned to people recordings of not only their language, which was emotional enough for the people that we were talking to, but in many cases, these were the voices of their fathers or mothers or grandfathers or or aunts or uncles and people who have all passed away now and and um it was it was an amazing experience it was extremely emotional for people not only to hear the voices of their loved ones on recordings but to actually hear a language again that they don't hear on a daily basis anymore but for many of them it brought back memories of childhood or or connections with their ancestors and family it would have been um incredibly Rewarding. I, I'm just trying to imagine a more um, rewarding moment as a researcher than that for you, Rachel, and for Ian. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, it really was amazing for us. That um, and we were so welcomed by people, which was which was lovely because really we were just strangers showing up in people's communities unannounced because a lot of these communities are very remote and um, you know there isn't mobile phone reception or anything out there that we could use to to sort of access people ahead of time. And um, we just sort of showed up and explained to people who we were and, and the recordings we had. And it, it, was, it was really amazing. And what it reinforced for me, which, you know, we as researchers always say this, but I really saw it in real life, is how important language is to people. It was really even though the people we were working with often didn't speak this language or they hadn't grown up speaking this language, but there is such a strong connection between language and identity and connection to history and family and country. And um, that's an extremely powerful connection. And so for these people that we were meeting, to it felt very important to them that we were able to we were we were sort of bringing them back a connection to that language and that was really powerful. And look being refused the right to speak your own language, you know, after after hearing, you know, the power of of that gift of um giving the language back to that community. Mm. Yeah. Sadly, it's not a thing of the past, is it? Um, could you talk no. to us about what happened to Northern Territory MP Best Price just last February? Right. So, so yeah, for many years there've, there's been lots of cases in which uh, Indigenous people have been um, banned from speaking their language. So, so back in the in the 60s in school, for example, kids were punished if they were spoken Indigenous languages in the playground. And we'd like to sort of think that 
that that is something that is, you know, a horrible thing that happened in the past. But in fact, last year, in February last year, um, Beth Price, who uh, is a minister in the Northern Territory uh, government, um, or at least she was then, I'm not sure if she still is now, but um, she is a fluent and native Walbury speaker, which is a language from Central Australia. And she was... Uh, threatened with disorderly conduct because she spoke, she used Walbury in the Northern Territory Parliament, even though it's her native language. And as she pointed out, the language of the majority of her constituents. So, in, in you know, if we're still sort of continuing with this, um, what, negative negative approach, I suppose, to, to people being able to speak Indigenous languages in their, and there was in their a regular lovely, daily life. Yeah, and there was a lovely, um, well, ironic, I don't know what you'd call it, lovely is not the word, but just a couple of weeks later we had the Prime Minister in Canberra, didn't we, using um, Indigenous language. Did you want to talk? Right, so <laughs> about a couple of weeks after this incident where Bess Price was refused uh, the right to speak her own native language in Parliament, uh, we had Malcolm Turnbull as Prime Minister use some of the Ngunnawal language, which is the language of Canberra, uh, in federal parliament to, to sort of great accolade. It was a very symbolic gesture. And I, and I don't want to say that wasn't a great gesture. That was a great thing that and a significant thing that Malcolm Turnbull did. It was It's really important that that got acknowledged, that the language of Canberra got acknowledged and, and I'm not sort of taking anything away from that but it's just interesting how um, on the one hand we have uh, an English speaker who's allowed to use Ngunnawal in a sort of symbolic gesture in Parliament in Canberra and then on the other hand a native Walbury speaker, fluent first language Walbury speaker who is not allowed to use her own language in, uh, in Parliament on the other so it's quite an interesting think... sort of I don't think you could. Um, it, it really is, Rachel, and and I, I will just um, end it there. Unfortunately, we we will have to um, end our time together. But just those those two examples really just sum up, don't they, the difference between speaking and listening and really hearing the yeah. indigenous language and and the way um, we can do better. I think. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, well, look, Rachel, thank you so much for your time today and joining us on Communication Mixdown. No problem. Thanks for having me. Now, we were just speaking with Associate Professor Rachel Nordlinger from the University of Melbourne, and the, she's the Director at the Research Unit for Indigenous Language at the ARC Centre for Excellence. You're invited to the Indigenous and Grassroots Movement Solidarity Gathering on the 7th and 8th of October at the Victoria Trades Hall in Nam, Melbourne. Speakers from Latin America, so-called Australia, West Papua, Aotearoa and other communities will come together to share their struggles, setbacks and victories. In two days of speakers, workshops, stalls, music, food, discussion, building bridges and more. The 2017 Indigenous and Grassroots Movement Solidarity Gathering, October 7th and 8th at the Victoria Trades Hall. While colonialism, capitalism and neoliberalism are global, so is the resistance. For more information, including donations and how to volunteer, email lasnet.solidarity at gmail.com or call 0425 539149, a 3CR supporter.
Hello, it's Fiona Scott-Norman here, and I would just like to say congratulations. You are doing something very important right now, and you want to know what it is? You are listening to 3CR, Melbourne's most diverse and fascinating community radio station. And you know why it's important? Because diversity is important, community is important, community radio is very, very important, and you are a winner. Hi, and you're on Communication Mixdown, and we were just speaking with Professor Rachel Nordlinger, the Director from the ARC Centre of Excellence for the Dynamics of Language. But now we are talking with Mandy Nicholson, who is a Project Officer with the Victorian Aboriginal Corporation for Languages, VCAL or VACAL. Now that's a not-for-profit organisation which is working to reconnect Kuris with their culture. Mandy, thank you for joining us on Communication Mixdown. Thank you for inviting me. Now, look, Mandy, Rachel has just given our listeners a great insight into the history of Indigenous languages around Australia. I'm really interested if you can tell us more specifically about Victoria um, and about, you know, how many Indigenous languages do we have here? Well, I've been working at VACL for about five years and in January this year I actually left, but it gave me a really firm foundation to be able to translate how to pronounce and how to construct construct uh, sentences uh, in so I can use it every day. So yeah, currently I'm studying for my PhD doing a connection to country when you don't live on country. So language relates to that very much so. That underpins everything about culture. So uh, in terms of Victorian language, there's 38 different Aboriginal languages in Victoria that are recognised uh, dialects or recognised lang- like languages in themselves. And within those language languages, there's regional dialects. So there's up to 60-odd languages in Victoria alone. And there's uh, language families as well. So there's 11 language families. And a few of them that I can uh, sort of talk about a little bit is the Kulin Nation, which is the central or eastern Kulin Nation, which is the five language groups of the Woiwurrung, Bunwurrung, Jajawurrung, Wadawurrung and Tanarong. And then we've got the Western Kulin, which is down in the Gunditjmara, Western Victorian area. So there's seven languages there. Then there's the Gunai languages, which is there's five language groups all yeah over in the Gippsland area. And then there's the river languages. So the further you sort of go out from a central point, the less percentage, I suppose, of similarities in language and grammar. So in terms of where I fit into it all, is my language is the Woiwurrung, so from the Wurundjeri people, and I also have connections to Jajawurrung and Nyurai Ilamwurrung, which is above, uh, well, in terms of when you think of Victoria as a language map, languages and different regions are separated by, usually by natural features. So where I sit is like the Melbourne area, the Yarra Valley drainage, I suppose, of the Yarra River is my traditional land. And then once you go over the mountain range, you hit uh, Tanarong. And then above that even more is my is Nura Ilamurung. So I've got the connection to there. And then uh, Jajawurung language is from the Bendigo area, so through my great-great-grandfather on that side. So I've got three connections within the central Kulin nation. And as I said, the, the further you go out, the, the less likely you are to understand each other because the language changes. Mandy, that was just the most exquisite map 
of of language. Thank you. I had no idea about the prevalence of dialects within within languages or the eleven language groups. I think you're just going to answer my next question of, you know, yeah. why is the preservation of Indigenous language so important and how does what does VCAL do to help this? Well, I think it, it's funny, it's good timing because we were meant to talk last week, but uh, I've just come out of a meeting with, uh, I'm not sure, maybe Melbourne Council or something like that. We were going in there talking about a ceremony that we're planning and we're in full rehearsal mode for, Tandaram, which is happening on the 4th of October in Fed Square. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is it's a ceremony that is for the Kulin Nation. It's a Wurundjeri ceremony. And what happens, and it's always happened since time immemorial, mobs would come, the Kulin Nation would come and they'd gather like in springtime when the eels were migrating, which is now, and you would gather to settle politics, arrange marriages, trade, uh, you know, strengthen your alliances with the neighbouring mobs and you would dance to celebrate. So in terms of the importance of language, what I was telling the panel earlier, because we were hoping to get an award, a community award for the Tandarum ceremony itself through Ilbidgeri and the Melbourne Festival. And what I've found in rehearsals, there's babies. There's, the youngest is four months old. The oldest person that will be involved is in their 80s. So it's all these generations involved in this ceremony. And language is the key to it because uh, before we re rekindled this ceremony, a, a few of the people that were involved didn't know how to speak language or dance or, or paint up or how to create any feather skirts or, or or anything like that. So this has enabled them to strengthen their identity. And the really exciting part of it is the mobs are learning language, they're learning their songs, they're creating the songs that relate and honour their creation spirits. Like we all have an entry dance, which is acknowledging everyone that's there and cleansing the area. And then we have a creation dance, which honours our creation spirits. Like, for instance, last year we had Bundle the Eagle. This year we're doing the Willy Wagtail. And then each mob has uh, their own specific welcome um, um, entry dance and creation spirit dance. And at the very end, it, it's so exciting. We found some old records of William Barrack's songs, uh, and he was in Allen's music store in Melbourne in the 1800s. And he recorded, this guy sort of, he knew how to write music and I don't really know how to read notes or anything. So it was all transcribed in this document. So I asked Lou Bennett uh, to help us recreate it, like as close as it is written. So we could say, you know, imagine Barak sitting there singing this with all the mob dancing. So what we've done, we've, we've created the song we're learning to sing it, all all the uh, mobs that are involved in Tandarum. We're all sitting there, there's about five or six singers from the different mobs and we're singing it and the, uh, the, the dance is created to honour what's in that song and the elements of that song are song lines, the wetland song lines from Victoria because many years ago wetlands stretched right across the width of Victoria and the song is related to wetland birds. So we've got the... Uh, the Gunawara, the black swan, Wajal, the pelican, Burundangala is another word for pelican from a different language group, and then we've got Genanwur, which is a duck. So oh, how we relate? Yeah, well, how we relate <laughs> all those birds is they're all wetland birds, That's and wonderful. the pelican is really special because he travels so far to follow the water. You know, like when 
Lake Eyre fills up. Yes. They always know that it is. They've got this instinct. So what the dance is, is recreating the pelican as the male. So there's two versions of the male. So the men are going to be dancing two moves to represent the pelican. And then the women are going to do the Gunawara and Wadra, uh, Gunawara and Genanwil, the duck and the uh, swan, because they relate to our creation stories about them being female. Like Gunawara, the black swan, is Bundra's wife. And Genanwil, the duck, is the platypus's mother. So oh, it's, it's really, it's amazing. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds incredible. And unfortunately, um, we are out of time. So I must promise that we have to continue this conversation. We will have to have you back. Mandy, would you yeah, promise Yeah, well, make that? sure you come and watch Tandera on oh, the 4th of October yes. at 6.30. And you'll hear beautiful, cool and language. Thank you so much, Mandy, for your time. Cool. No worries. Thank you. So we've been speaking with Mandy Nicholson. She's a project officer with the Victorian Aboriginal Corporation for Languages and we'll have contacts and links for both Mandy VCAL and our previous guest, Rachel Nordliger, on our website. So that's it for another episode of Communication Mixdown this week. We're here next Thursday.